Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the VK Podcast. I'm Ryan Alford, your co-host. Joined as always, my friend and co-host, Chris Hansen. We're excited today. We're going to talk about drinking. Actually, maybe not drinking. Would be a better way to put it. <laughs> we like to do uh, contrarian views on everything here on the VK Podcast. We're joined by James Swanick. He's an Australian entrepreneur, and he is helping people and casual drinkers stop drinking and all the benefits that come with that. And he's got his hands in a few other things that we'll talk about. James, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Ryan and Chris. Hey, we're excited. We've, we're in the top 150 in Wellness Podcast now. The audience is growing, and we love telling great stories and bringing on people that are much smarter than us on lots of topics. It isn't too hard for me. You may, this might be a topic that Chris is more like down with because he's overcome this and is thriving on the other side of this, kicking everybody's ass as an entrepreneur. But I'm excited to tell your story and, and just share with people what happens when you make decisions that aren't always easy, but have great impact. Yeah, I was a socially acceptable drinker for many years. I grew up in Brisbane, Australia. I had two or three drinks most nights of the week from age 17. I got drunk on weekends when I was a bit younger, but I never got a DUI or got arrested or really had a rock bottom. Mine was really the accumulation of those steady, socially acceptable drinking habits over many years. And I got to 35. I was in Austin, Texas in 2010, and I went out to a party and I had two Bombay Sapphire gin and tonics. And I went back to my hotel. When I woke up the next morning, I looked in the mirror and I just looked tired and weathered. I was lethargic. I wasn't sleeping great. And I identified that it was this drinking habit that I had. Again, I wasn't getting blackout drunk and crashing cars and waking up in a ditch. I was just drinking two, three, sometimes four drinks a night, most nights of the week. And I'd put on weight and my life was just blah. That feeling of blah, like you're like a six out of 10. And I went to an IHOP, an international house of pancakes, right next door to the hotel I was staying in. And I was sitting there and I was going, what am I doing in an IHOP? And that was like my rock bottom, even though it wasn't really like a <laughs> devastating rock bottom. But I was just sitting there going, what am I doing? Feeling slightly hungover in an IHOP in Austin, Texas. And I thought to myself, just take 30 days off alcohol and see what happens. And so I did. I took a 30-day challenge. I lost 13 pounds in 30 days. I slept better. I felt better. I had clarity, focus, and energy. I auditioned for a job hosting a TV show called Sports Center on ESPN. To my utter amazement, they gave me the job, and I ended up hosting Sports Center for a couple of years. And I just thought, this not drinking thing seems to be working out pretty well. I might just keep going. And so I kept going and going. And now it's been 13 and a half years. And then in that time, I've, I've since created a, an organization that really supports people to have a better relationship with alcohol, whether that means stopping entirely or at the very least, just being more aware of your drinking habits and hopefully reducing. Hey, it's, it's funny. If you'd have said Huddle House, I might would have thought Rock Bottom. That's the <laughs> generic spinoff of Waffle House. I hop sometimes is known for some pretty fine, delicious goods of pancakes. It's one of my favorite places when I'm hungover. Just kidding. Just joking. Just joking. But the, uh, <laughs> but it, so Sports Center, was this like Sports Center in Australia? No, it was Sports Center in the U.S. It was okay. Houston filmed it out in Bristol, Connecticut. Candidly, most of where I appeared was outside of the U.S. 
in Australia and some of those some European countries as well. But on the on the domestic US, I did some golf in Wimbledon and a few things like that. That's great. Do you have a sports you a good golf voice. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was thinking that. <laughs> I was like, the funny but, thing was trying to do like the voiceover to highlights of Tim Tebow during Tebow time. Remember in 2010, 11, he was just a superstar with Denver. And oh, yeah. I don't know whether trying to do. Try, having an Australian accent and trying to do commentary on an American sport was a bit unique. Cause I, but I'll give it a shot here. It was like, and it's Tebow time in Denver. And I was like, well, <laughs> I guess it's all right. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Did you play sports growing up? Yeah, but I played sports that you probably wouldn't be too familiar with. I played cricket and rugby, oh, uh, yeah. rugby union. Yeah. And But cricket really was my jam. Yeah, rugby's tough, man. I watched that is a rough sport. I, uh, I feel like I would constantly have injuries from playing rugby. I don't know. Is it is that just a mis- someone that isn't familiar enough with it just assumes? It's funny because we don't wear pads, we don't wear helmets, and I would submit that there are more injuries in American football because of pads and helmets. Mm-hmm. It's a slightly different game because a lot of the tackles that, that, that come in rugby, you can pretty much see your opponent, whereas if you're a wide receiver – and you're looking over this way, you don't know that you're about to get cleaned up from someone coming at another angle, and that can cause a lot of damage. But, yeah, it is a t- rugby is a tough sport, but I would submit it's probably safer in the long run than American football. What was prob- What's probably most dangerous about rugby, ironically, is the drinking culture because uh, <laughs> rugby is very much associated with very heavy drinking. And, I, look, I remember... I played rugby all my life. I moved to Los Angeles, California in the early 2000s, around 2002, and I joined Los Angeles Rugby Club, and I played three seasons there. And if I was, quote-unquote, unlucky enough to win the Man of the Match award or the best on ground, the the prize was having to scull a pitcher of beer back at the Sharkies pub on in Manhattan Beach afterwards. I got 15 of my teammates singing, chug or scull, scull, and I'd be drinking beer out of a shoe or a booth or something. <laughs> And that's very much a culture associated with rugby. And I was happy enough to go on with it at the time because I hadn't woken up yet like I did in 2010 when I was sitting in that IHOP when I realized that even though the drinking was fun and it created some camaraderie, certainly in rugby and also in business and with friendships and romantic liaisons and girlfriends and things like that, ultimately I recognized that it really wasn't serving me long term and the consequences of health and mindset were having a bigger impact than any perceived benefits I was getting from drinking. I do think you bring up a point that is worth going down, which is the social component of drinking. And I think that mm-hmm. is at the core, I think of a lot of, uh, certainly when things go south and people are sitting alone drinking, you know, which I can't like speak to from personal experience, but I know that's what happens and where it gets to. But what we, we all live, and it doesn't matter whether it's the U.S. or otherwise, this social component of having fun and doing things and going out, that drinking has always been at the forefront of or part of that whole process, right? And so at its core, that's, I think, where people both have the biggest challenge maybe with quitting, which with the assumption that they're no longer a part of that, or because it just seems to be ingrained into the whole I don't know, celebratory nature of those social get-togethers, right? Yeah, that's right. Cultural conditioning plays such a huge part in this because ever since we were born, we were a little kid, right? What 
would happen. We'd be at the dinner table and we might see mummy or daddy having some alcohol and we might be inquisitive and say, oh, can I have some? And what do they say? They say, oh, no, little Johnny or no, little Sally. You can have that when you're older. So what they're doing is they're imprinting in this child's mind that drinking alcohol is almost like a rite of passage. It's what adults do. It's what you get to do when you grow up. And, of course, every kid wants to grow up, right? And so it's, it begins then, as early as five or six or seven years old. You get to drink when you're older. And then, of course, your teens come and now you start going, give me some beer, give me some wine. You go to college, you got all the hazing, you got all the partying if it's a good time. And there are smiling assassins everywhere. And a smiling assassin is someone who's smiling as they offer you a drink. Hey, can I get you a drink? Want a drink? Hey, let's have some drinks. And they've got, most of the time, they've got your best interests at heart, like, they're wanting to have fun, but they're slowly killing you anyway by that cultural conditioning. And then later on in adult life, when we, we become more aware, you see it in marketing, you see it in advertising. The, the, the Budweiser and the Coors commercials are fantastic. They're, they are wonderful. These high, highly produced, big budget commercials, they're fun, they're funny, but they're literally promoting attractively packaged poison. And so what it does is it creates this idea that you have to drink alcohol in order to bond with the guys, or you have to drink champagne with the girls on a Sunday brunch in order to connect. You must simply drink champagne at a wedding to toast the bride and the groom. You gotta have champagne at the wedding. But you know who came up with these ridiculous ideas? Very clever marketers at the companies who are producing this poison. That's all it is. And you you said, Ryan, at the beginning, it's the biggest challenge for people is not wanting to feel ostracized from the tribe, right? Everyone else is drinking, and so that's part of what you do. And I get it. There's this number called Dunbar's number, and he said that we used to live in tribes of 150 people, and if we were ostracized from that tribe for whatever reason, it was certain death. The rival tribe would kill you, the bear would get you, the wolf would eat you, whatever. And fast forward to 2023, if we stop drinking alcohol, we... Our reptilian brain thinks, oh, I'm going to be ostracized from the tribe. That means death. That's danger. I can't do that. What do you do? You go along with what the tribe is doing, which is consume this attractively packaged poison. But there are obviously consequences that come with that. What's been like you, you mentioned some of the benefits at a high level, but maybe some of the, I don't know, unexpected benefits, like other things that have even, I don't know, Maybe just enlightenment, maybe it's something mental, or but is it unlocked even more things that you didn't expect? From being alcohol-free, you mean? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. If there are entrepreneurs listening or watching, I would say this. Being consistently alcohol-free will probably, not even possibly, probably generate you at the very least hundreds of thousands of dollars of additional income or business revenue. I've had clients who've literally made a quarter of a million dollars more income in the 90 days that they're stopping drinking with me in my program and process. Uh, I'll give you an example. There's a guy called Gaetano. He lives out in Boston. He's uh, in real estate. He did one additional real estate deal each of the three months that he was with me stopping drinking for the three months. And so he did three deals, three deals that he says he wouldn't ordinarily have done if he had been drinking the way that he had been drinking before he came and stopped, right? 
And cumulatively, those three deals equaled quarter of a million dollars. So you can then form the argument that quitting drinking made him a quarter of a million dollars in just 90 days. Now, I can speak from my own, my own experience. I stopped drinking in 2010. Now, on a professional money-making impact of the world gauge, let's say, I became a sports center anchor on ESPN. And Sports Center is, you know, arguably the most iconic sports TV news show on the planet. I didn't have any TV experience, but somehow miraculously I got that job. I still don't know how I got it, but I got it. Mm-hmm. Right? And I credit clarity, focus, energy, strategic thinking to helping me get the audition in the first place and then ultimately win the audition and get the job. Later on, because I had clarity and focus and energy and because I started spending time with other entrepreneurial people who were also into health and fitness who also weren't prioritizing drinking, I created a sleep company called Swanic Sleep. We produced these blue light blocking glasses and I created a stop drinking coaching business. Cumulatively, they've made me millions of dollars Okay, over the years. So I could make a compelling case. Uh, and by the way, before I, I stopped drinking or before I got the job at, at Sports Center, the, the, the most amount of money that I would have made in a year was probably $120,000, $130,000, right? I was just a guy who, who got jobs and did a steady job. I wasn't, a, wasn't a, an outstanding performer. But the moment I stopped drinking, I got this iconic job. And then a couple of years later, I started two businesses, which are still going today. And they're just that they're flourishing. So I guess to answer your question from a, on a purely success metric, if we're talking career or profession, stopping drinking can help you produce millions of dollars in revenue or income and make a huge impact in the world. What do you say to people that we can get down the argument of who's controlling their alcohol and who's not, or is if you drink it at all, it's controlling you, but social drinkers that have made a living off of golfing and clients and made millions and billions of dollars off of that social component, but have kept it in check. Mm -hmm. I would submit that they'd make a hell of a lot more or be even more successful if they were consistently clear, focused, energized, happier. Now, I can't speak to whatever they're other areas of their life are like. Maybe they've just absolutely crushed it in business, right. but their health is a mess. Mm. Maybe they've crushed it financially, but they're cheating on their wife or their husband or they've got marital strain or they're not present with their kids. I, I don't know. I'm not yeah. saying that's just the default we have to go to, but there's a few things to consider there. I bring um, it up because I, I just think that's, I think that's where a lot of people probably go. I'm trying to play the audience. Yeah, here. <laughs> I think that's. At least in my experience, that's the first, I don't know if it's Argument. an excuse, but I, yeah, 100% is the, it's benefited me so much in business. And I used to be that guy myself, where entertaining doctors, taking them out for drinks and nice dinners and stuff. I struggled with that. How am I going to make money without, because you do still have some of these guys where it's, you don't trust a man unless you have a drink with him, that whole <laughs> mentality. Culture. Right, yeah, I, which... But what you just said, if anything, with my success and being exposed to more, and I'm speaking just financially, being around more financially successful people, it was a letdown for me seeing how many of them, everything else outside of financial was in crumbles. Or great, you have a ton of money, but like you said, you're cheating on your wife, your kids are not on a good path, 
I very quickly learned I can't measure someone purely on financial success when everything else might not be unicorns and rainbows outside of that that setting. Yeah, it's only one metric, isn't it? It's only one way to, to gauge someone. Success for me isn't how much money you make. It's am I doing what I want, with I want, who I want, and am I feeling healthy physically and mentally doing mm. it? And um, I, would, I would rather make 10 times less money and have great health and not mm. much stress or anxiety in, in my life. And that's candidly how I choose to live my life. The other thing, though, even if you ignored that argument, even if we just said, shut up, James, you don't know what you're talking about, whatever, I make so much money because I drink alcohol and I take my clients out drinking, right? What I would say is this. You can still go out with your clients and entertain them, and if they choose to drink alcohol, let them drink alcohol. If it's on you and you're the one shouting them, let them do it. But it doesn't mean you have to drink alcohol. See, people Mm. mistakenly believe that if they're not drinking alcohol, they're going to somehow be a killjoy or that they're somehow going to deprive others of having fun. Now, let me use an example here, if I may. George Clooney. When we think of George Clooney, the Hollywood actor, we think suave, charisma, cheeky, very confident, right? That's probably what most people would would think of George Clooney. Now, if I brought George Clooney over to your house, Ryan, and you were hosting a party, and George Clooney knocks on the door, and he comes in, and you say, Mr. Clooney, well, George, can I get you a drink? What would you like? I've got wine, I've got beer, I've got spirit. What can I get you? And George Clooney said, nah, I'm good, Ryan. I'm good, mate. Have you got any soda water? you got some sparkling water, some lime? I would submit that you're not really going to say, come on, George Clooney, what are you talking about? Have a drink, for goodness sake. You're probably <laughs> just going to say, no worries, George Clooney. Let me quickly go and get you a soda water, right? And you would. And that would be the end of it, yes. right? And then you just guys would just be in conversation and you'd drink and he wouldn't and who cares? No yeah. one cares. But most people are going into these conversations and when they're offered a drink, they're almost apologetically and sheepishly saying, oh, gee, I want a drink but I can't. Oh, can I have a soda water? Oh, I shouldn't. Ah, oh, I need to stop. I'm sorry, sorry. And so what's happening in that situation? Two things. One, you're consciously and unconsciously telling yourself that not drinking is pain and that you are depriving yourself of joy by not drinking. You're also now demonstrating to your guest or your host or your friends or whoever is there that not drinking also equals pain and feeling like you're in a prison, right? Now, on the flip side of that, if you go into any social situation and you put on your George Clooney-esque persona and your confidence and you're lighthearted and you've got a smirk on your face and someone says, hey, can I get you a drink? And you go, yeah, I'd love a soda water. That'd be awesome. I'll take a soda water. And someone says, oh, why aren't you drinking? And you go, ah, oh, I'm too strong in mine. I'll tell you what, I'm going to go shot for shot. I'm going to drink my Perrier water tonight for every Zambuca shot that you do. Watch out, I'm going to swing from the rafters tonight. Make a little joke of it. Make a joke at your own expense. And then everyone sees that you're fun, you're lighthearted, you don't give a crap that you're not drinking, you don't give a crap what their opinion is that you're not drinking. And now everyone can just relax and get on with it. You don't drink, the others drink. You go to a Vegas nightclub, you party, you go to the corporate golf day. Some people are drinking, some people are not, but you're just 
being you, having a great time, and then you can do a ton of business and make millions of dollars in deals because you're clear and you've got strategy and because you're a great person to be around. I think you've you've nailed two things there that are really important, James. Number one, people don't, you, you make up in your mind that people care about shit that they don't really care about necessarily. And especially today, I think the world's becoming more open to these things. And I think it becomes a skew, an excuse and a crutch for people because they go, they're making up that it matters to all these people, whether they drink or not. And then the second thing is that it really just starts with your own mindset and your own confidence and your own ability to become who you really are and be something that's not just a jovial drunk. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it, it's amazing to me. I think we always think that once you unlock this ability to know that we overthink things as people, that people like everybody's favorite radio station is WIIFM, what's in it for me. And I don't really give a fuck if you're drinking or not because I'm having a good, good time drinking, like whatever that might be. I think, but people, you have to unlock that for yourself that you realize that it doesn't matter what they think if you're looking out for you. And then number two, you can be confident in your decisions. And I think that's what pe people think really struggle with those two things. The little secret ahead, and then Chris ahead, said, you can go, yeah, yeah, that is it. That no one really gives a rat's ass whether <laughs> you drink or you don't drink. Yeah. No one's thinking about you. Everyone's thinking about themselves. Yep. That is the truth. Like, Ryan, you said everyone's favorite station. Everyone's favorite station is me. <laughs> me, me. What's going on with me? My place in the world. What's this person thinking? Yep. We're all doing it now. You, Ryan, Chris, we're all looking at ourselves on the video. Am I sound, is what I'm saying making sense of these guys digging it? Ryan's asking, am I asking good questions? What's the next question? Chris, is, I got a comment here. Let me come in with what I got. I'm going to bring some heat. No one gives a shit about whether you drink or don't drink, but we live in this BS world where we think they do or we believe they do. Chris, you were going to, you were going to share something. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you nailed it. I've lived both of those when I, cause when I first started evaluating my drinking, I think I was like 20 when I first was introduced that maybe this is something I needed to explore a little more forcefully than that. It, it was a strong suggestion. And I remember being 20, 21, going out in college, and it was taboo. At the, and this is 2007, 2008. So the conversation wasn't where it is today, obviously. But looking back, it's I thought I had to give people my whole life story of why I wasn't drinking. And it never worked well. It was like a downer. I was out of hand or blah, blah, blah. Now, I've told Ryan this story. We, I was at a birthday party. We're out on a yacht all weekend. Same group of people all weekend. And the last day, all the guys are chugging beers and shotgunning beers. And one of them's Chris, what do you want? I said, a sparkling water. And he tossed me like a, a white claw. And I'm like, no, like a real, like a LaCroix, <laughs> like no alcohol. And at that point, I've, I've talked to this guy hours all weekend. And that's when it hit him. He's like, wait, you don't drink. I'm like, no. And he's man, I had no idea. And to your point, I showed up. I was social. I had a good time with these people the whole weekend. No one gave a shit if I was drinking or not. My, my character spoke for itself. It's, there's no difference. It's like what you said. If you just walk in, you don't make a deal out of it. No one could give a shit. And I used to get insecure leaving the bar or the party early. I'm at the point now, too. Everyone's five, six, seven drinks in. I do the Irish exit. I just excuse myself. <laughs> don't even say goodbye. No one knows. No one gives a shit. Nobody knows. 
No one's remembering that. I would know, Chris, like, but uh, they wouldn't. You might know. And I've been out with you when you're drinking. I can. I, I was on a date this weekend, and the girl goes, "Oh, does it bother you?" I said, "I have no. I don't care what you do. It has nothing to do with me. This is just for me. I'm better off on the the soda water train." That's great, Chris. Yeah, good for you. And look, you seem like you're high integrity person, good morals, and people pick up on that energetically to the point yeah. where that gentleman you referenced was surprised that you didn't drink because how else could you be a cool dude like having fun and right. and just fit into that social circle so effortlessly? But you did. And that's a great example of how our listeners here can do the same. If we just let go of this idea that people are judging us or thinking that we're an alcoholic because we're choosing not to drink, thinking that we've got a problem. The crazy thing is alcohol is the only drug where you have to justify not consuming it. Mm. <laughs> it's ridiculous, isn't it? It's like the it's only true. drug where you've got to explain why you won't consume it. You're it's right. Nuts. If you say no to cocaine, no one's like, why not, man? Come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but with alcohol, you're right. Alcohol, I've had many occasions where, and this is years ago, not so much now, but people definitely were a little, and, and I've realized now it really has nothing to do with me. That's their own, their own beliefs. It might be their own insecurities with their own drinking, but it's, and I think you're right. It's a point now, and I've, I've seen this on your content with some of the people you've you posted some of your clients, I'm assuming the people you work with aren't necessarily problem drinkers. They're just people wanting to try to break out of this programming. Like you said, these alcohol companies have done a bang up job with their marketing strategy, immaculate, where it's just realizing, Hey, maybe everything that was fed to us is not serving our highest purpose. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, said you see it in travel destination brochures and advertising. You see a handsome man and attractive woman sharing a candlelit dinner, toasting with a bottle of champagne or red wine. And the inference is that, well, you absolutely need a bottle of wine in order to create romance. Yeah. And you can't create romance if you remove the bottle of wine. Right? That's the inference. I remember being like 21 years old. And the therapist therapy session. And I was like, what am I supposed to do when I get married? I'm not going to drink champagne. And this is the delusion where at the time it's, you don't even have a girlfriend. You have no money. You have nothing positive going for yourself. And then that's because that's what I saw everywhere around me in movies, real life. This is how you celebrate. You have to have this. And now looking back, and I thought of this because I have a friend who's struggling right now and I've been trying to, someone I should probably send your way, honestly, James. And he, he said something similar to that where I'm like, dude, you're delusional. Who, who cares about that? You're so far from a wedding. But it's all these beliefs that we, they're not even our own. It's just what's been implanted to us as the societal norm. Mm. How do you deal with in your program or your clientele what do you tell people that have objections like that? Or really it's fear ultimately at the basis of all these things. How do you walk them through something like that? First of all is, is helping them become self-aware and understand why it is that they're seeking refuge in drinking alcohol in the first place. 
And a lot of that is social resistance. A lot of that is sometimes it's childhood trauma. Sometimes it's just stress and anxiety of the workplace. And it's highlighting to them that they can relieve stress and anxiety and they can relieve the tension with one million and one other things that do not involve drinking attractively packaged poison. (laughs) It's just that is the one mechanism that people have chosen to remove them from themselves. Everyone feels stressed. Everyone feels anxious at times. Everyone feels happy. Everyone feels tired at times. But alcohol is the go-to to try and create some temporary illusionary relief from that. So what we do is essentially personal development. It's not so much stop drinking alcohol and we're going to make you stop drinking and here's why you should stop drinking. It's essentially helping them to stop drinking for 90 days. And during that process, we introduce them to ways of celebrating without alcohol, ways of dealing with stress and anxiety that don't involve alcohol. Simple things, or from simple things like basic nutrition, morning sunlight when you wake up in the morning, optimizing your sleep, wearing a pair of blue light blocking glasses at night to block the blue light, writing down in a a journal 20 things you're grateful for every day. So you start living a life of appreciation instead of expectation. We show people how to stop comparing themselves to others. That is the cause of so much anxiety in the world, I tell you. And I've been guilty of that, even not drinking. Like I sometimes go onto social media and I'll scroll through and everyone likes to create the illusion. Or Look, sometimes it might be actually factual, but I see people having a great time, sometimes with family and kids or travel or all these kind of stuff. And I go, I don't have that. And I have a sense of loss, even though if I hadn't looked on Instagram at that time, I wouldn't have even thought about those things that I didn't have. I would have just been appreciative of the things I do have. So those kind of things is how we help people break out of the the matrix, so so to speak. The other thing is we help people identify what's on their bucket list. And then we lovingly push them and guide them into knocking off at least a few of those items on the bucket list during the 90 days. Because learning, ongoing learning has been shown to increase our cognitive ability and also to increase feelings of joy and, and pleasure. A lot of it also as well is that the dopamine receptors in people's brains have been numbed by constant years of drinking. And what we do is once we remove the alcohol, we now show them how to have a more steady release of dopamine as opposed to these big like 4th of July, get drunk, get these these big euphoric things. We focus on having a more steady controlled release of dopamine from things like being in appreciation, writing down what you're grateful for accomplishing one of your life goals, having a conversation that you've been procrastinating on for some, in some cases, decades. A lot of our clients are in their 50s and they just haven't even said simple stuff like to their son or their daughter, like, I love you or I'm sorry or anything like that. They've just been procrastinating on that stuff. And then as soon as they stop drinking alcohol and they've got clarity and focus, it doesn't mean the resistance disappears, but they ultimately take those scary steps achieve a breakthrough and then they just feel so much joy in the world and the bottom line is this if you are a happier healthier person cravings for alcohol either significantly reduce or just are eliminated altogether and chris i can see you nodding your head i'm sure that has been the case with you right the more that as you've increasingly become healthier physically and mentally the less cravings for alcohol there are 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't feel like I've had a craving since I've stopped, to be honest with you. But now I look at it, it doesn't bother me and I'm not drawn to it. I'm neutral. I just, at this point, it's like you say, it's attractively packaged poison. And that's just how I look at it. It's as simple as that. Or I look at it like weakness where it was, it just wasn't serving me. It was a bandaid and just piles up your problems where eventually you're going to have to face them is how I looked at it. But yeah, absolutely. The, the cravings have completely been removed, but I've done a lot of the things you said. I journal every morning. I practice gratitude a lot, exercise, building a community of people that not necessarily don't drink, but it's not the center of their focus by any means. James, where do you fall on the, okay, we know alcohol is <laughs> polished poison. I guess I got to get in my terminology right here. How we, what, how, what devil we want it to be. But talk to me about like other substances. We talk a lot about on this, sub, this podcast, supplements and biohacking and other ways to get the most out of ourselves. Are you like 100% natural or nothing? Or how do you fall on other things that might push you towards boards? Those, I don't know, better states of mind or optimism. How do I optimize myself? I'm all for supplements. I am a big natural kind of guy, like holistic. It might be the terminology that you would use. I am not a fan of big pharma. I'm not a doctor, just to stress, mm -hmm. I'm not a doctor. So take with take whatever I say with a grain of salt. But I think prescription drugs are doled out like candy in this in the United States, and I I have massive resistance around that. I don't like that at all, and I think that most of the ailments that the Western world has today can be solved by good nutrition, sunlight, optimizing sleep, and all natural things. Now, people often ask me, "What do you think about marijuana or psychedelics and things like that?" Look, I'm not as I'm not an expert in those things, but what I would say is anything that is natural, anything that came from the natural world or the natural environment, I would think is going to be 100 times, not 100 times, but let's just say I'm more open to those modalities than I am alcohol, right, which is just straight up poison, no question. Am I here pushing people? Oh, marijuana is <laughs> fine. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I'm more open-minded to anything that's natural and very much closed off to Big Pharma and uh, what they, what I, my perceptions is that they're trying to do, which is to keep people just sick enough so they can make billions of dollars in some cases. Not a popular opinion, but yeah. that's my Well, opinion. it's one we share on this popular show. on our show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it I is. Say. <laughs> we do share that same belief. A pharmaceutical, somewhere in some alternative <laughs> universe that's become our reality, natural became bad and lab became okay. Yeah, I'm with you. And what's crazy, Ryan, I'll tell you, I always have a, I always think about this idea when we, we've got food and then we've got organic food. But really, I think the labeling should be the other way around, right? It should be like, it should be like non-organic food. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's like, and real, literally. Exactly. Like, it's yeah. like what we call organic food as if it's some like special kind of thing. In my view is just, well, that's food. That's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, But like the way that we label these things and market these things and talk about these things makes what has been repeatedly proven to be healthy foods and substances, what's the word I'm looking for? A, an indulgence or something yeah. only for the wealthy. 
Yes. Only for right. the uber rich. Come on. We, it's crazy. Yeah, we hate the, uh, even with our show and some of the things that we're doing with natural products, I hate the word alternative, like mm. alternative wellness. Altern- like it's only alternative because we've made poison okay or we've made highly addictive substances the norm and it shouldn't be it we've been playing around with some positioning not to let the cat out of the bag but like there there should be no alternative but natural <laughs> like it it shouldn't be relegated to alternative wellness mm-hmm. it's no it's wellness like it's this is what it should be this shouldn't be relegated to like you said organic food. It's the organic bananas. Okay. What the ones that don't have pesticides and like somehow it's, it, right. it, it's just crazy. That's why I say it's like this alternative world or this uh, mm-hmm. crazy world, like where things got switched around. And now we're having, if we're having this, we're, we want to lead the, the Renaissance towards, I don't know, the other back to the other way. Yes. Good on you guys for, for your role in that and for leading the charge. I am in alignment I'm sure with almost all of what you're putting out there. I often think that way about alcohol. I just think, how is society glorifying this drug and normalizing it? It's like in the news, you see these stories about the opioid crisis. And I go, yeah, that's a crisis. That is a crisis. But then people aren't really talking about the alcohol crisis. And yet alcohol is responsible for more deaths than any of the other drugs combined. But that's, that gets a pass somehow. That is preposterous to me. But again, cultural conditioning, the way it is, if you've grown up from a young age and everyone's smiling as they're consuming this drug, and then the way to get into social circles is to consume this drug, and then everyone else is smiling again, and the waiter and the waitress greet you in the restaurant and says, hello, sir, can I get you started with some drinks? And they're smiling, and they're like trying to get you to drink this poison. It's, it takes some awareness to get out of that. Hello, can I, I get you started with some more? How about they came up and said, can I get you started with some organic fruit? <laughs> yeah, can I get <laughs> you started with some, a juice. double dose of fresh oxygen? I even feel when I go to a restaurant or a bar, like I feel like the outcast ordering sparkling water or if I'm really feeling funky, I might get a Coca-Cola, which is poison too. But And I feel like I get a weird look where I'm like, well, I'm not the weird one, dude. Like... <laughs> Starting your dinner with an espresso martini, I don't think is like more normal than me having a sparkling water. But, <laughs> it's bad on two I, levels. It's dessert and it is poison. <laughs> which I, I understand from a waiter's point of view, your goal is a higher tab equals higher tips for you at the end of the night. So I I could see that, but it's, it is awkward. And it's a little, once you remove yourself from it, seeing what a major role it plays in all of society. Now, when I look at even professional sports, and my buddies that are super into that, I'm like, are you guys really that big into the sports or you just love going to the bar and slamming beers while we're sitting here watching this? Are we really playing golf or are we going to drink a 12 pack over this four hour period of time? But I know I had to reevaluate what I actually like to do. What are my hobbies? Because so much of my life was tailored around drinking activities. I get that. Here's the thing. I'm a big Denver Broncos fan and I'm a big Tottenham Hotspur fan in the English Premier League for English soccer Mm. and uh, I love Sunday football and even though the Broncos have been pretty crappy the past (laughs) couple of years especially last year most Mm. Sundays I like to go to a bar and watch the damn Broncos Mm. 
even though Russell Wilson was awful last season and it was painful <laughs> a lot of the time. And I'll sit in there at the bar for three and a half hours or however long the game goes for and I'll talk to some other guys, watch the other games on the other, t- on the other TVs and I will drink soda water until the cows come home. And I'm <coughs> happy <coughs> as a pig in shit. That's fine. And no one's there questioning, oh, why aren't you drinking? Oh, you should be drinking. Mm. And I have a great time. I'm in London, England as we're recording this. I went to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium uh, a couple of weeks ago and watched Tottenham defeat Manchester United in a packed stadium. I went to the game two hours before kickoff. They've designed the stadiums to encourage people to go a couple of hours before the stadium, to go and drink beer and eat food and congregate and socialise. And I did that without drinking the beer. I just went there and I ordered some soda water, got a piece of lime, squeezed it in. I went with a couple of my friends. They had a couple of beers. They didn't question me. I didn't question them. Then I went up and I cheered my team on and we beat Manchester United, which I was thrilled about. And I had a wonderful time. And I've been doing similar kind of activities like that for 13 and a half years alcohol-free. And I would argue that you can have an even more joyous time doing it that way as opposed to drinking the alcohol. It's just that most people are so used to drinking the alcohol that the associ- and the association is so strong that it's hard for them to see out of that cloud to see that to believe that it's even possible. But it is possible to have either an equally or a far superior time at events or situations where ordinarily in the past you would have drank. I think it's a hundred percent habit <laughs> just, and not habit with the drinking, but just that's how it's always been done. And so it's back mm. to that cultural norms. James, as we're wrapping up here, talk to our audience about how people can work with you, where they can learn more and anything else on the program that we haven't touched on. Thank you. Yeah, I got a podcast. It's called Alcohol Free Lifestyle. It's in Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. We release episodes on tips and tricks to either reduce or stop drinking. My signature flagship stop drinking process is called Project 90. It's 90 days. It's called what's called Project 90. It has a 92% success rate of getting folks to at least 90 consecutive days alcohol free. The University of Washington just did a scientific study on the process because they didn't quite believe how effective it was. And we're still waiting for the results to come out in 2024, but I'm quietly confident that they'll be what I expect them to be. So if you go to alcoholfreelifestyle.com slash project 90, you can learn more. What I might say just in conclusion, just as a parting thought, is this. Alcohol's reputation is crumbling. Millennials have never drunk less. There's a now a plethora of alcohol-free alternatives on the market. There's alcohol-free beers. There's alcohol-free wines. There's alcohol-free lots of things. Increasing amounts of people are turning their back on alcohol, waking up, escaping the matrix. In my opinion, in three decades from now, I would say 20 to 30 years, probably more like 30, but hopefully 20, we're going to look back on alcohol with the same level of disdain as we currently do cigarettes. And people are always like, oh, that's not true. That can't be true. That's the way it's going. Look how quickly the world has moved with the introduction of ChatGPT and artificial intelligence. Like six months ago, no one really knew about it. Now, six months ago, if you're a business owner, it's like you're almost a dinosaur if you're not using it. That was in Mm -hmm. six months. And I just think that we are riding a a cultural wave of change right now 
where people are finally woken up, woken up to the damaging effects of alcohol, finally realizing that we don't need alcohol for social interaction to the point where if I was one of these big alcohol companies, I'd just be putting all of my money into alcohol-free options only at this point because otherwise they're going to be out of business increasingly over the years. That's my prediction. And so I would just welcome anyone who's considering cutting back or stopping to join the movement and get some support, whether it's with me or elsewhere, because I tell you, you'll make millions of dollars more money. You'll get the body that nature intended you to have. You'll have so much more joy in your life and you'll enjoy watching your football team win so much more <laughs> on a Sunday <laughs> without having to drink all the, the, the beer and the wine and the liquor and eat all the burgers and the fries to go with it. <laughs> well, I and was a much better I Monday, was, I would assume. <laughs> I was stone yeah, yeah. sober last night watching my Clemson Tigers get beat by Duke. I didn't drown my sorrows in anything but my pillow. <laughs> but it, I love it, James. A lot of great perspective, a lot to think about. And we really appreciate you coming on the show, sharing your story, the impact, and giving a lot of tips and tricks for people as they consider an alcohol-free lifestyle. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Chris. Hey, guys, you know where to find us, thevacaypodcast.com. She'll church for James Swanick, you'll find all the content from today. We'll have all of the links to James' materials within the show notes, and you'll find them on the website. We appreciate everyone. For Chris Hansen, I'm Ryan Alford. We'll see you next time on the VK Podcast. <laughs>